0: Okay, welcome in everybody to this episode of Mythic Existence. Today we are going to be talking about Slavic folklore. We'll cover the Slavic Wheel of the Year, talk about some of their major deities, and cover a few of their memorable folk heroes and villains. So sit back, relax, and enjoy another episode of Mythic Existence. So Slavic folklore is actually kind of what really got me into the field of folklore studies in the first place. When I was a sophomore at the University of Kansas, I enrolled in a Slavic folklore class. And I can remember getting, uh, you know, my syllabus back and seeing that we had a week about werewolves and a week about vampires and readings about magic and all sorts of stuff like that. And I really couldn't believe it. Um, All of that stuff was, you know, things I had interest in before I really started college and really started my formal education, but I thought it was just kind of things that people didn't really talk about or if they did. it was something that kind of was approached in a sort of offhand manner or kind of under the table if you kind of if you get my meaning. Um, but then I realized that there is a whole you know academic study and there are conversations surrounding. Things like fairy tales and the anthropological study of magic and, uh, you know, kind of cross-cultural sort of perspectives on the similarities between major gods and festivals and, you know, folk religion and stuff of that nature. So Slavic folklore has always had a very near and dear role to my heart. I'm not Slavic or anything, but I just think it's a really, really interesting culture. So, to start off with, we have to define who the Slavs are, and, you know, that might not be something that you'd be familiar with, but Slavs are uh, generally from Eastern Europe. They're subdivided into a few different groups, one of which is the East Slavs, and that's Russians, Ukrainians, and Belarusians. We also have West Slavs, which are Poles, Czechs, Slovaks. And uh, Serbians, or I guess actually Serbs fall into the S- the Southern Slavs. Sorry, um, so the Southern Slavs are Serbs, Croats, Bosnians, um, Slovenians, Macedonians, and Montenegrins. So that's kind of the the general area that we're talking about. Um, one of the things that really interests me in Slavic folklore was was or is their wheel of the year which is basically their their holiday schedule I guess you could call it and it's really hard to find information about it online I I don't have my old computer that I used in college where I had all of those diagrams and layouts that I had gotten in class and so if you look up wheel of the year or pagan wheel of the year you'll you'll generally find the celtic wheel of the year which has such celebrations as Samhain and Yule and that kind of thing. And generally those celebrations are are kind of similar in, uh, you know, in Slavic folklore, but they just have different names and there's different traditions that go along with them. But a lot of the European calendars were based around the harvest schedule and were co-opted into Christian religion. So that's one thing that I've always found very fascinating is that, there's always this complex interplay between, uh, pagan folk religion and Christianity and Christianity tries to distance themselves from basically paganism, but they really, in most ways took their holidays and made them their own and acted as if they're Christian holidays, but they're actually typically pagan festivals that were co-opted to make it typically easier for pagans to be basically forced into Christianity or kind of coerced into it, but that folk tradition has remained. So, I didn't get the whole wheel of the year, but as I was doing my research, I kind of re-found those holidays that I remember studying in my class. So, the first one is Koliata, is what it's called, and this is basically... The Yule celebration. I found a lot of different information regarding it, but it it, suppo- it starts on December twenty first, which is the winter solstice. So, the winter solstice was always a very important day in pagan folk tradition and folk religion because that's the longest day of the year, and that is basically why the the Christmas. Uh, festival has been placed on that you know range is it's ultimately um you know a solar festival and so uh, apparently coleada runs from december 21st to early february other information i found said that january 6th or 7th is the kind of culmination of it but coleada is a celebration that is, um, dedicated to Veles, which is one of the main gods in the Slavic pantheon. It used to be dedicated to the black god Chernobog, who is a deity associated with darkness and death. And so you can see why that's an appropriate god to be associated with this day, given that it's, um, you know kind of a very like dark part of the year and sorry i i think i hopefully i didn't say longest day earlier it's the shortest day of the year so that's why the the black god chernobog is a fitting deity to be associated with it and Velus eventually became the god that was associated with this festival holiday and Velus is a god of earth and of the underworld he is associated with magic the harvest and music he's the opposite of the thunder god perun who is sort of like kind of a zeus but more of like an odin and uh kind of an odinic feature uh, character i guess and Velus is sometimes depicted as a dragon dragons are very prevalent in slavic folklore And this, this carnival kind of represents the battle of opposite forces and the, you know, the night versus day, dark versus light, winter versus summer, that kind of thing. And one of the folk traditions that they have is people wear masks that are supposed to be used to drive evil forces out. And they all also do bonfires and sing carols. And of course you know carols are very prevalent in american christian uh, christmas festivals or uh, celebrations at least and there's mask wearing which is something that is typically associated with halloween and they also have that in their sort of halloween festival which I'll get to later the second is called maslenitsa which if I'm not mistaken, basically means Night of the Tasty Morsels, and it's also known as Pancake Week. This occurs during the week before Lent, which is typically February, well, I have written down February 28th to March 6th. Again, it's hard to find the exact dates for these things, but um, getting back to the Tasty Morsels and why it's called Pancake Week, a lot of the food that is eaten is called blini, which are traditional Russian pancakes. And this festival is also actually associated with Velis, because this god is the patron of cattle and farming. And it's also associated with bears, the festival, and with this thing called Leshi, which is a wood goblin. And so in Slavic folklore, the bear is often thought of being a sacred animal with healing powers. You see reverence for bears across many religions and uh, I guess, not religions, but more cultures, pagan cultures in Europe. One point that I wanted to make also with Velus is that he's kind of like a loki figure. If I'm remembering this correctly, You can see that through the association with magic. He's kind of a trickster god. And the Maslenitsa, this kind of represents a, a birth and death. This is kind of the rebirth of spring. And the Russian pancakes are meant to kind of symbolize that because they're given to women in labor and also at funerals. So you see kind of the connection between these these opposites that are kind of existing with each other. And if one exists, the other can't, that's kind of the Veles-Perun sort of dichotomy. The next holiday is Radonitsa, which Nitsa, if you haven't been able to tell, that means night. Um, And basically Radon means joyful. So it's joyful night this happens during the time of easter as well and it's meant to kind of i guess now the joyful night has become associated with christ's resurrection there is a tradition of painting eggs during radonitza and this is the beginning of marriage season, so it's interesting how there's often a connection between the eggs and the resurrection with fertility. And also during this time, there is a tradition of visiting family members in their graves during springtime, and that's just kind of a reverence for ancestors and your family is something that occurs during Radonitsa. Next is Kupala Night, which is June 21st. This is kind of a midsummer's festival. It's also known as Ivan Kupala Night, and it is meant to uh, be associated with John the Baptist. That is why it's called Ivan. John is, uh, as far as I was able to tell, Ivan for the Slavic folklore. And this holiday is often associated with kind of water rituals and that's where the old term kupala is based off of a Slavic word that means to get wet. There's pranks that are carried out including pouring water. There's often water rituals for cleansing but you're not supposed to swim because it's said that evil water spirits will get you if you do. One thing that women do on Kupala Night or Yvonne Kupala is they weave wreaths made out of wildflowers and send them down a river with a wish. So there's some interesting water divination rites that happen on this day. And they also have a custom of jumping over bonfires to test strength both individually and as a couple. So that's Kupala Night, which is on June 21st. And then the the Halloween-type tradition or festival is called Jiadi, and I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. It's spelled D-Z-I-A-D-Y, and it's believed that souls would come to the world at this time, and they made masks for spirits of the deceased that are called Karabashka. So as far as I could tell, they don't really wear these masks, they're more to kind of almost be a magical, um, you know, sympathetic magic object that is supposed to invoke their ancestors. And I think that the masks are supposed to help lead the dead to the underworld. So that's the wheel of the year. I'm sure that I'm missing one or two in there. I definitely remember uh, Maslenitsa and Kupala Knight and... Radonitsa, as well as Koliada. Those are definitely some of the big ones. I couldn't remember what the Halloween was. And I think that there's a couple others sprinkled in there, but I couldn't find them or recall. So some really interesting things going on there. Let's get into our discussion of their principal deities. As I mentioned earlier, one of the main gods is Perun who is a god of the sky that is associated with thunder and lightning. Oftentimes we see the chief deity being associated with the sky. This is kind of a Thor and Odin sort of creature or character, I guess. He's associated associated with the oak tree and with war. And we'll talk more about that oak tree later, but there is a sacred kind of world tree for the Slavs, that's very reminiscent of what we see in Norse mythology Mythology with Yggdrasil. Sorry, I'm messing up those Norse words. But Perun is very masculine. And he is said to reside at the top of this sacred oak tree that is home to all beings. So Perun is the chief deity. The second is Dasbog. Dasbog. You might be familiar with Dazbog from The Coffee Company, who has very creatively associated themselves with him, and he's a fitting god to be associated with coffee because he is a god that gives life to crops and provides bounty and abundance. He's also associated with fire and rain, which are two things that are understandable to be associated with coffee i think because you need rain to help crops grow you need water for coffee and you need to heat the coffee up unless you're drinking iced coffee and he's a very giving god he's associated with the hearth and with like i said with fire and getting you through the winter with heat the hearth is very important in slavic folklore as well Next is Veles, who we've talked about already, but Veles is the enemy of Perun. So this is, you know, kind of a kind of a dark character in a certain respect, but like I've mentioned, good and evil are understood as being two sides of the same coin in Slavic folklore. Veles is responsible for storms. He sometimes is depicted as a serpent that slithers up the tree. So we can certainly see that association with, you know, Satan in the Garden of Eden. He also is said to steal children. And that kind of reminds me of Hades and stealing Persephone, bringing her down to the underworld. Persephone, of course, being the daughter of Demeter. And so there's some really interesting kind of similarities between Norse Slavic Greek and, and Roman mythology next we have Chernobog and Belobog, and these are kind of before I mentioned Chernobog is this black god um, I don't think he's necessarily de- depicted as being actually black skinned as a matter of fact I'm going to look up real quick as I'm doing this what he looks like, which is something that I should have done before. Yeah, actually, some of this, I guess, fan art, there's a lot of different ones. Sometimes he's depicted as actually having black skin. Oftentimes he's depicted with wings and with horns. Other times he's depicted as carrying what looks like a magic staff with a raven. Ravens are, of course, very, um, you know, powerful kind of beings oftentimes in in folklore but bellobog is the opposite is the white god and so he he is kind of an embodiment of of good basically next we have our first goddess who is mokash she is a fertility goddess that watches over childbirth and she's also associated with domestic duties Svarog is a fire god who is the father of Dasbog. I've always thought that Svarog should probably have a little bit higher of a role considering that he is a solar god and a father of one of the the chief deities. But he's kind of like Hephaestus actually a lot. He's associated with the smith and the forge but he's also a creator deity. And it's said that while he sleeps he creates the world through his dreams, sort of like Vishnu, so there's even kind of a similarity with some uh, you know Hindu mythology going on here. So that's it for our discussion about deities. Let's move on to a few of their memorable folk heroes and villains. The first one I want to talk about is Baba Yaga. A lot of you might be familiar with Baba Yaga. She is a supernatural being and basically a witch who lives in the forest. It is said that her hut stands on chicken legs. And that's always a very interesting sort of depiction that you can read in Russian fairy tales. She appears in a lot of Russian fairy tales, which I'll talk about some of those principal characters coming up. She may help or hurt you depending on how you have treated her or what she feels like she can do there's a russian folklorist named vladimir prop who's very famous he came up with a thing called the folktale morphology in which he kind of studied how especially russian folktales kind of branch out or display certain similarities and baba yaga in his folktale morphology can be a a good person what he calls a donor or a villain or altogether ambiguous i've always thought that bobby aga was pretty freaky to me she's more villain than than a hero but she's an interesting character she's often associated with mortars and pestles she's quite often depicted as riding backwards on a broom which is something that you see with witches as sort of a what it's called an inversion of normal things so that's Baba Yaga and then we have Baba Yaga appearing in a story called The Maiden Tsar in which Ivan Tsarevich, who is basically one of the biggest Russian folk heroes goes and is in trouble with baba yaga but he is saved by a firebird so the firebird is a very prevalent figure in russian folk tales and baba yaga also appears in a story called vasilisa the beautiful vasilisa is one of the main uh, heroines of russian folk tales and she gets in her own Kind of clash with Baba Yaga, and in both of those, you you find the the ch- the hut with the chicken legs. One last concept that I want to cover that I remember learning about for the first time in my Slavic folklore class is liminality. So, liminality is a very powerful magical concept in Slavic folklore, and basically a liminal space is a space that is in between two realms. The crossroads is a really good example. That's why there's so much folklore surrounding crossroads, and that as being sort of a magical nexus point. Water and streams is one such liminal space. I think that that's why on Ivan Kupala, you're not supposed to go in the water because it is liminal. And because you're doing divination rituals to move from one space to the next, you're not supposed to disturb that liminal space. The outhouse is also a famous liminal space in Slavic folklore. You can imagine how scary it might have been. This is something that we don't really have to experience for the most part in the modern Western world going to an outhouse late at night in a place where there are very real creatures like wolves and bears that could eat you. But those were always associated with spirits and and magic and there was always a, a threatening aura associated with outhouses. So I just wanted to cover that concept of liminality because it's something that's very prevalent in a lot of academic studies, especially supernatural folklore studies. So that's it for today's episode. Slavic folklore displays a mix that European culture accumulates over time. The shocking resemblances between their gods and the Greco-Roman pantheon, as well as the similarities between their holidays and modern Christian ones is quite fascinating. And always remember, if you're out in the woods, stay away from the hut with chicken legs. Thanks for listening. See you next